0: Welcome to Musonomics. I'm Larry Miller from the Music Business Program at NYU Steinhardt.
1: Tons of innovation in music. Uh, Streaming is obviously on fire right now. Live music is up 10 times from COVID. Now you have AI and blockchain. And I just wanted to capture all this growth and innovation.
0: That was David Schulhoff, the founder and CEO of MUSQ, which we can pronounce as Music, LLC, a new music ETF. ETFs are exchange-traded funds that trade on exchanges like NASDAQ or the New York Stock Exchange. When you invest in an ETF, you get a professionally managed bundle of assets you can buy and sell during market hours. You can invest in ETFs if you're looking for an affordable way to access a broad range of asset classes or focus within a particular asset class or industrial sector like insurance and banking, oil and gas exploration, housing construction, and now music. So ETFs are like mutual funds and represent baskets of individual securities like stocks or bonds. But ETFs are exchange-traded and can be bought or sold within the same trading day at different prices. Mutual fund trades are executed once a day at a single price. Index funds are passively managed and mirror the performance of the index they're tracking, like, say, the S&P 500. David Schulhoff, though, has been around music for decades as an investor and as an operator with years of experience in public and private companies. I first came across David in the late 2000s when he was co-running Evergreen Copyright Acquisitions. Evergreen acquired a lot of important music catalogs before selling to Bertelsmann and KKR in 2010. I asked him why create a music-focused, exchange-traded fund now.
1: Yeah, so about a year ago, I thought about starting another music publishing company. And I looked at the landscape and I said, my gosh, there is so much competition today. KKR, Blackstone, Apollo, Providence Equity Partners, the list goes on, and all the royalty trusts. And they were all paying 20, 25 times for Tom Petty, Springsteen, Bob Dylan, and so on. I said, you know, when I had Evergreen, I had edge. I had a competitive edge. Nobody was doing what I was doing. I had the relationships with the estates, with the songwriters, and I had an edge there here. Sure so I said maybe this isn't such a great idea and at that time I looked at the landscape of public companies I said there are a lot of music public companies around the world domestic and foreign and I said how great would it be for investors to invest in an ETF a convenient and portable way to invest in all of the companies and historically as an LP in these funds it was very illiquid let's make this a very liquid product so I literally pulled out a piece of paper and I started writing down all the companies Companies that I would love to see in the fund. And there were like over 50. And then I'm like, let me break this down into different buckets or different pillars. I said, okay, what do we have here? These are all the streaming stocks. These are all the content stocks. These are all the live music and ticketing stocks. These are the equipment and technology stocks. And these are the satellite and radio stocks. And I said, this is a very compelling product. This is a way to invest. And a lot of these foreign companies you couldn't invest in historically. You had to like open up local accounts and foreign exchanges, it was difficult Mm to as an investor. Tons of innovation in music. Uh, Streaming is obviously on fire right now. Live music is up 10 times from COVID. Now you have AI and blockchain. And I just wanted to capture all this growth and innovation. And so that was kind of the genesis of MUSQ.
0: In 2010, there were almost no Wall Street analysts who were covering the music business at that time. Today, almost everyone is, none less than uh, Goldman. Goldman's Music in the Air report is kind of a big deal in this space. Over the several years that they've been doing it, it is a pretty growthy, very thoughtful kind of a report. And Goldman's pretty bullish on the music ecosystem as an investment space, right? Yeah, if you read Lisa Yang's
1: report, Report, music in the Air, and she's done a great job. Uh, I mean, the industry's doubling to 152 billion by 2030. Um, she points out that we're going from 500 million paid subscribers today to 1.2 billion paid subscribers. Spotify grew, you know, 16% uh, from 220 to 226 million paid subscribers. So the industry's growing, and, and it's an exciting time to, to invest in the space. There's tons of innovation. Streaming is growing, the emerging markets are growing. It's all outperforming the GDP. GDP is like two to three percent, right? Streaming is like growing at nine percent. Content is growing at like 10 percent. And in the emerging markets, it's growing at like double digit returns. And here's the really interesting statistic. You have eight billion people on the planet. Ninety percent have a cell phone, 7.2 billion. Only 11 percent of all cell phone owners today have a music service. I think we're just scratching the surface with people who will ultimately have a music service on their phone. And music Today is the most under-monetized media asset. The most overlooked, underhyped, undermonetized media asset, and that's not just me saying that. That's Lisa Yang saying that at Goldman. That's J.P. Morgan saying that. Think about it. You're paying a fraction of what you're paying for Hulu, HBO, Netflix. They're like double. And so we're just starting to scratch the surface now with price hikes, and that's the, one of the reasons why Spotify jumped up in its numbers. You, you know, you're seeing the revenue now finally kicking it in, and it's big. By raising it by 10 percent, by one dollar, they have 200 million paid subscribers. That's like two and a half billion dollars a year of incremental
0: revenue by raising it one dollar. One dollar. Yeah. Right. You invest in public stocks only, and one of the things that I wonder about is growth priced in at the public companies that you are constrained uh, to invest in, or not so much. How do you respond to that? First, I think music
1: is cheap compared to other stocks. Uh, they're priced, you know, a fraction of what AI stocks are priced at today, so I think they're they're well priced. Uh, the MUSQ Global Music Industry ETF, which is what this is, tracks the performance of the USQ Global Music Industry Index. And the index is really just an index fund of songs broken down into streaming and content and live music and ticketing, equipment, tech, and satellite and radio. So we have about 12 12 streaming companies in the fund. We have about 22 content companies in the fund. Um, We have six live music and ticketing companies. We have eight equipment and technology, and we have six radio and satellites. And these are all public stocks. 45% of them are domestic and 55% of them are foreign.
0: Tell me a bit about the foreign exposure. You're completely right, of course, that it's hard to be a U.S. investor and invest in a public stock, especially a thinly traded public stock in another part of the world. But what kind of exposure can an investor get by investing in MUSQ that would be difficult for them to get on their own?
1: First, let me just clarify that all the companies in this fund have to generate more than 50% of their revenues from music, or they have to be a top five player in streaming or content and global uh, ticketing and equipment and tech or satellite radio, or they have to control more than 10% global market share. Okay, those are sort of the eligibility requirements and this fund gets rebalanced quarterly. It's all market cap weighted, so no single company in the fund can be more than 7% market cap weight, uh, and then no company can be smaller than $100 million in market cap and It has to have daily trading liquidity of five hundred thousand dollars a day. So that's just the index, and that gives you small cap, mid cap, and large cap public music companies. Um, in terms of foreign companies, like I said, there's more than fifty percent are foreign. That companies you wouldn't even know at First of all, like him in Taiwan, which is a massive content company. Companies like SME and Avex in Japan. All the Sa- all the K-pop companies. So we have Genie Corp and Kakao, the two biggest streaming companies in South Korea, along with JYP, HYBE, YG, YG Plus. All these. these. These companies are very important, and then of course in China we have Tencent and we have Cloud Music, and these are hard to trade. You'd have to open up local accounts in those territories through a local exchange or broker dealer. It's tricky, and so, and then obviously in the U.S. we have all the big music companies, you know, Universal and Warner Group and Sony, but we also have you know the smaller companies, the royalty trusts. We have like like Roundhill, which is recently going public or private, but we have uh, Reservoir and we have Hypnosis and we have Click Digital and Great Britain and Live One. So. We just give investors a real cross-section, and a lot of these companies are just hard to get access to, and you wouldn't even know about them. It's really hard to get exposure globally to music outside of this fund, and so I wanted to create the Musq Global Music Industry ETF. is really a convenient way to get access to all these
0: companies. You just mentioned Round Hill, and um, by extension, Hypnosis, and I want to ask you about that. What about the valuations of the publicly listed music royalty funds?
1: Josh had a pretty good exit on Round Hill. Uh, Hypnosis, we'll see what happens. I, I think they probably overpaid for a lot of their assets, but Look, they're very small percentages of the fund. And so this is exposure to music publishing. You know, a lot of investors, they shouldn't have to pick one company to invest. And in. I think that's the overall premise here, that you shouldn't have to pick, you know, Universal over Warner Music or why, because Taylor Swift is signed to Republic, which is signed to Universal. What about Bruno Mars on Warner Music? What about John Mayer on Sony? So same thing with music publishing. They're all a little different. Reservoir is kind of tilted, maybe a little bit more towards hip hop. You know, Roundhills maybe maybe a little bit more towards, you know, kind of classic rock. Uh, hypnosis maybe is also maybe classic. Anyway, there's just too many genres of music. There's too many companies out there. It's really hard to know to pick the winners from the companies that are, you know, not as successful. And so if you like music, you really kind of want to invest in the whole ecosystem.
0: Google, Amazon, Apple are all pretty big components of the fund. Your thoughts about those super big name brands? had to include them because Spotify clearly is number
1: one. But after Spotify, Apple, Amazon, Google are two, three, and four in terms of streaming companies, right? So they're top five players in the space, but I capped them at 7%. So
0: together, the three companies can't be more than 21% on the index. You're holding Sphere Entertainment. This is the uh, listed company that our friends at Madison Square Garden are involved in that is the entity that built that big round building in Las Vegas that is housing maybe... Be the greatest show on earth right now, depending on how you feel about the Taylor Show and the Beyonce Show. But no kidding, the Sphere Show that's housing YouTube now through the beginning of the year is revolutionary. Your thoughts on holding that stock? Both Madison Square Garden Entertainment and Sphere are
1: holdings in our fund. Uh, we love both of those stocks. I mean, Sphere is they built a state of the art business. When they spun MSGE out of Sphere, they retain Sphere retains also uh, all of the network rights and. And, and they also have tau hospitality which is in it which is interesting sphere is a is a state-of-the- art cost a lot 2.3 billion but I think it represents kind of the future of live entertainment and Madison Square Garden entertainment is a great stock to own Madison Square Garden is the highest grossing music venue in the world this is a live music entertainment company so between all the venues that they have and they have long-term rights with you know sports companies and it's a great stock it's consistent I think the dolan you know family runs a really awesome company with sphere and with And with MSGE. But look, live music is just on fire. I mean, you you mentioned Taylor Swift and Beyonce, uh, and revenues are up. 10 times. It was at $3.9 billion in 2020. It's now close to $40 billion. Uh, Live Nation just doubled their output of tours for 2024. You know, artists like Taylor Swift and Beyonce are like moving needle, like moving rooms in, in the economy. They're having a huge cultural impact, a huge economic impact. So we have companies in our fund, obviously like Live Nation's in our fund, but we have CTS Eventum, which is a big music promotions company in Germany. We have Sphere and MSGE, naturally. Uh, we have Vivid Seats, so we're capturing all of the, ticketing that's taking place and we want to give investors exposure to that. So Live Nation and all of its peers are performing exceptionally well right now in the fund.
0: When you think about emerging market growth, what are the territories around the world? What are the markets that you are especially excited about now? Well, I think South Korea represents the
1: second biggest market today out of after the United States. And it's a, they're a force in the music industry today. So they're acquiring ownership interests in music and USA companies. Uh, I think they invest like high IB invest in quality control, and they own uh, some management companies, right? They manage now uh, the rights of Ariana Grande and Justin Bieber, so heavily entrenched. They have deals with, like, Republic Records. Companies like HYBE, JYP, SM Entertainment, there's like 14 companies in South Korea. They're just a massive player in the music business today, and you want to own these stocks. And then, you know, after South Korea, China's really big, Tencent and Cloud uh, Music are very big companies. Japan is obviously a huge market, you know, we have SM Entertainment. Entertainment, And we have Avex in Japan and, and Sony is obviously there. And then we have all the companies in, in Europe, right? So we have companies like Believe, uh, Click Digital in Great Britain, all the royalty trusts. And those are kind of the biggest markets there. So um, obviously in Australia, we have uh, we have Southern Cross, which is one of the big radio stations there. We have that in our fund. Uh, we have some labels. We have some publishing companies. So I would say across Australia, South Korea, China, all over Western Europe, Japan, uh, and obviously the United States is a big market market, and then uh, we have some smaller companies in South America and Mexico.
0: As the operator of an ETF, how do you grow assets under management? I mean, it's one thing to trust the CEOs and the senior management teams and the directors of the publicly listed companies that are components of the fund. So when they do well, you do well. But how does the investment community learn about the MUSQ ETF beyond listening to this podcast? Well, first you can uh, couple One, you can
1: go to our website musq.com, and I wrote a hundred-page white paper there on all these companies and and everything that's going on. And you can download the fact sheet, you can download the investment case, you can download our white paper, download the prospectus. So if you're ready to spend a few hours reading, you can read up on all these companies at our on our website, Uh, and we've got all the holdings listed there and performance and so on. We also have an index site uh, musqindex.com because the ETF tracks the performance of the index, and so there's additional collateral there at musqindex.com. So those are the two websites where you can read up really on all these companies. Uh, But to your point or question around, look, we're not telling the CEOs, obviously, how to do their business. We're taking a very secular, thematic approach to music. We're very bullish on music. We want to capture the growth and innovation of all these companies. We want to let them build their own companies. If they get too small, they get delisted. They're no longer on the index. If they get too big, they cram down. But we're giving giving investors a cross-section. There's too much going on in the industry today uh, to know where to pick and how to pick one and we have 10 different technology companies in our fund tech companies so companies like Yamaha Roland, Focusrite Dolby, Sonos these are all like important these are all like u- delivering tools to artists to use building recording studios they're uh, providing tools for AI right for allowing artists to kind of sample files and so there's just so much going on the whole industry is on steroids and so I just wanted to make this really easy and really convenient for investors, uh, for Robinhood type investors, like very small investors who may have a few thousand dollars they want to invest, or a more sophisticated investor that just doesn't have the bandwidth to kind of diligence all these companies, right? Because if you're an investor, let's even at a big fund, at a hedge fund or a pension fund, like you're gonna have to spend a lot of money, a lot of resources figuring out which companies to invest in, right? If you wanna make a play in music. And so there's so much going on. So you're better off really just betting on the index and betting on all these companies And when you look at the index, the index is actually outperforming the S&P in some months. It's performed very well, outperformed the MSCI, the MSCI Global Index. Yesterday, Spotify was up 10%. Our fund was up 2%. Now, who's to say all the other stocks are going to follow Spotify? Probably not. But there's just so much going on. You want diversification. You want portability. You want liquidity. That's a key metric about what we're doing. This is total liquidity. You can invest, buy shares. If you need the money, you can get out, right? It was very illiquid. still is for many investors who are trapped in these SLPs and these, you know, big private equity funds. So um, there's no one share today is like $24, right? You can buy one share, a thousand shares, 5,000 shares. Uh, We're giving you exposure to all these companies uh, and you kind of benefit
0: through all of them. You mentioned AI as an area that an investor can get some exposure in. And of course, most of the, or at least many of the companies that are in the fund are addressing AI one way or another. How do you think about AI as a force to be reckoned with in the music business? And I say that as somebody who can't go to a music event anywhere in the world, especially a music industry conference, without having this conversation about AI. So, Where are you on this? Yeah, AI to me is is revolutionizing,
1: boosting creativity for artists. It's revolutionizing production. It's allowing them to create, to ideate, to come up with ideas, taking stems from songs, creating samples. Uh, Even if you're a songwriter, you can now have an AI voice, make it sound like the way you want it to sound when you're pitching it. And so there's just a lot of great tools. Clearly, there is a threat to our industry. I would say the two biggest threats are obviously uh, market dilution is one and piracy is another. And I think every industry is figuring out how to deal with AI and what is it? What is the impact on piracy? What is the impact on the labor force? Uh, From our point of view at the fund, like the the benefits of AI far exceed, uh, you know, any risks associated with it. And you're now seeing an AI task force. You're seeing Google kind of work with the big companies on figuring out how to compensate all the producers and compensate the songwriters and the publishers and the art. That's what this is about. It's really about let's not let's make sure that nobody is producing or creating any unauthorized. Don't steal somebody else's work. If you're going to lift a few bars, like let's know what it is that you're lifting, so there can be compensation paid to the correct parties. Sampling, I think, generally has created a windfall for a lot of publishers and for a lot of uh, artists, right? And a lot of estates. Like, we want sampling. Sampling creates new music. And think about how many great songs have been created through samples, right? From, you know, hip-hop to R&B, just beautiful music. But let's compensate. Let's make sure we, we are paying the original songwriter, the original artist, right? And let's not rip them off. And I think that's the biggest threat. That's the obvious problem. You know, we saw what happened with, you know, a fake recording by Drake and a fake recording by Weekend, But look, Universal quickly sent a takedown notice to Spotify and it was gone. And so we just need to set up the right protocols. It's the same thing that happened to Google 15 years ago when they had user generated content, but they set up protocols and they set up content ID to watermark and then compensate all the copyright owners correctly, the authors. And so the same thing's happening now in music. Give it a little bit of time. Don't try and stop it. Like you'll never be able to stop the the emergence of new technology. We've, we've learned about that. Let technology do it it's going to do. But let's make sure we're protecting and we're compensating all the copyright owners.
0: You've also written a bit about blockchain as a transformative force in the industry. To what degree does that impact either an investment thesis or an individual investor?
1: So blockchain to me is also revolutionary. And there are many ways blockchain is, right? One, it puts an artist directly in touch with their fan and their super fan. And we know that super fans are willing to pay three times more than the average fan. And now you're seeing artists sell NFTs and goods and they can do, they can tap into their fan directly through blockchain. But blockchain, I think more importantly and more globally, it replaces an antiquated system of royalty payments. If you're a songwriter, you could take you nine months to get paid by the time the network or the user pays the society, ASCAP, BMI, and CSEC, and then they're sitting on the money and they're taking their fee. So it eliminates the middleman, right? And it creates a direct payment rail between the user, right? Whoever the user may be or whatever the user may be and the, artist. And the and it creates complete transparency there should be one pay for one play theoretically in a perfect world of blockchain when your music is played somewhere you should know it got played there you should know what percentage of the song you own and what the fee is and it should be in your bank account like in a perfect world blockchain can do that
0: we're not there yet obviously today but in theory that's what it's capable of doing David Schulhoff thanks for joining us on Musonomics and good luck with MUSQ great thanks so much for having me uh, here on the show The Musonomics Podcast is produced by Musonomics LLC, strategy consulting and analytics for and about the music industry technical and audio production this episode from Garg, with editorial production by Joseph Vela for the NYU Steinhardt Music Business Program. Our theme music is by Piotr Garbazonic. If you like what you heard on this episode of Musonomics please give us a review on Apple Podcasts or Spotify. It only takes a minute and it's so important in helping new listeners find our podcast and follow us at Musonomics. From the Music Business Program at NYU Steinhardt, I'm Larry Miller. Thanks for listening.